irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I am your host, Lisa Tahir. I am a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I have offices in both Los Angeles and New Orleans, and I work with clients worldwide via Skype and FaceTime. You can find this show archived on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. And you can find me if you would like to schedule sessions, if you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you'd like to advertise on this show via my website, nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles, therapy.com, and lisatahir.com. So today is a first um, on my show with this particular type of guest, which is very exciting for me. In just a few moments, I'm going to bring on Antoinette Kuritz. She is CEO of Strategies Literary PR. She's a former radio show host herself, and she's a book developer, a publishing and media coach, now a publishing house, a publisher, and a literary publicist. She has 22 years of experience in the book business and founded the La Jolla's Writers Conference in San Diego back in October of 2001. And we're going to discuss how that conference is coming up in 2016. The dates are November 11th through 13th. So we're going to be talking today about the do's and don'ts on writing and publishing and other related topics on literary development. Welcome, Antoinette. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. It's a sunny, beautiful 70-degree day here in San Diego, and I'm just looking out my window and loving it and getting a terrible case of spring fever in October. You know, it's always beautiful there. So yeah. I'm not surprised to hear you say that and how how lucky you are to be enjoying that kind of weather right now. I am. I am. So where do you want to begin? Because you do everything related to the author and the book business. So it's such a broad topic. Where is a good place for us and for our listeners to begin with you? I think starting with the fact then that when you pursue in your business life, something that has something to do with what you love in your everyday life, work stops being a chore. I've always loved books. I started, I can remember reading when I was three years old, and if I'd run out of books, I would pull the things out from under the cabinet in the bathroom and try to read the labels on my mother's stuff. And um, I've always been a reader. Words have always, always meant so much to me. Became an English teacher, and um, and an accident kept me from from teaching and uh, going back to teaching. So I turned to the book world, and um, I found it both healing and um, restorative. And I found my niche. I I became a. I started as a bookseller. And I moved on to be a community relations coordinator in a bookstore, and I helped a lot of authors. And one day an author walked into the store and said, 
I need you to be my publicist, and my company was formed. So that's, I think, the second thing I want to say is, is get involved in your work day in things that you really love, and then put out your best, and you never yeah. know what's going to come back or what direction it's going to take you in. You know, that's been my experience. Yeah, and and I'm wondering if we can we can continue with defining a few terms. What what does a publicist do? A publisher, like just to delineate the different roles and responsibilities. Okay, a publisher is the person who makes your book available to the broader audience. First to the bookstores, and then of course through the stores, both brick and mortar and online to the public. That's what a publisher does. They make they create the physical book and the ebook that becomes available. And they will cover everything from the editing of that book to the design of the cover to the design of the interior to making sure that the electronic copies are available. They do all that work. And you They're just became a publisher. Correct. You I just told me this before we came online. Do you want can we talk a little about that? How that happened sure. and what that means now for your business and your company? And for others out there? When I started the La Jolla Writers Conference back in 2001, I started talking with authors about the fact that someday I would like to publish. And the reason I started the conference was because I saw that the publishing world was changing dramatically. And, um, And authors needed to understand the business of writing as well as the art and craft of writing if they were going to be successful. And we were the first conference in the country, I think, to cover the business of writing. And to this, we still do it to this day. And um, seeing the changes in the publishing world, I, I put it out there to friends of mine who were authors that someday I would really like to get into publishing, but I'd like to start with some New York Times bestselling authors so that then when I brought new authors on, new talent on, I could take the time to nurture them. Okay. Because that doesn't happen anymore. Um, writing a book is like being a TV show. You know, if you don't hit a home run straight out of the park, publishers stop paying attention to you. Okay. No matter what your talent, this is for the most part. And I wanted to go back to the old-fashioned publishing model where you nurture a talent along. So finally, about a year and a half ago, a well-known New York Times bestselling author came to me and gave me the privilege of publishing um, a novella with a brand new character that we hope will become the main character in his next series. She's a brilliant, quirky, young astrophysicist, and mm. and she's um, she's wonderful. And I fell in love with the book, and I, I I emailed him back and said, "This this is a fantastic manuscript. She will support a whole series." And he said, "Oh, good. Would you like to publish it?" So this week. This novella came out. It's called The Penny Jumper, and it's by Jim Grapando. And we are privileged and so pleased to have this book out. And I think um, anyone who likes suspense thrillers um, will love it. Just love it. Congratulations. Thank you. And did you Thank say he you. is he has over 20 New York Times bestsellers already he published? Is that correct? New York Times bestselling books. Yes. Congratulations. That's huge. Wow. So you developed the La Jolla Writers Conference back in 2001 as a as to fill a need, I'm hearing, like a gap that that didn't exist, so to speak, for writers and how to connect them to the business of writing. 
Exactly. I mean, we, we are very strong in the art and craft of writing, but we also have a very strong business component at the conference. We only take 200 people. I laughingly say if my mother's application was 201, she would not get in. <laughs> and, um, and the reason we do that is because we have a one to six faculty ratio. Oh, that's we, great. It's, yeah, it's very intimate. This isn't an income stream for anyone. We at, at Strategies work on this second shift. We donate our time to, um, to organize the conference, and all of our faculty donates their time. They fly themselves into San Diego, the ones who are from out of town. The only thing we provide for them is a hotel room and three meals. Okay. Um, they pay their own way here, and even our keynotes. I mean, we've had everybody from Michael Connolly to Tess Gerritsen to Jim Grappando and Steve Berry. I mean, the list is amazing, the keynotes we've had and teachers we've had, and nobody takes an honorarium. Everybody donates their time. We pay it forward to aspiring authors. It's such a labor of love. Yes, it is. It really, really is. So then what does a publicist do? Just sticking with the definitions before, I, I want to hear more about creativity. But what, what does a publicist do? A publicist publicizes your book. A publicist okay. helps you to make the public aware of your book. And I started out in my career with books, I started out as a bookseller. I had had a terrible toxic injury, couldn't go back to teaching because I think you have to be 150% when you teach. And um, I had gotten a very bad prognosis and I was very depressed. And I said to my husband, I need to go to work. And he said, you can't work. You're really sick. I said, I'm going to work. And I went and got a job at a bookstore. Okay. And I, six months later, I became the community relations coordinator. And we had an enormously successful program. And um, from there... I learned about making the public aware of books and authors and their events. And um, I segued into my own business, and I started out as simply a literary publicist. Okay. But, but seeing how the business was changing, we became more project managers. So people come to us now with an idea for a book, and we'll tell them whether or not we think it'll work. We'll help them mold it, and we'll... We'll work with them through the entire writing process to the publishing process and help them decide on the best method of publication for them. So, and then do the PR and marketing. So we still do the PR and marketing, but we do everything before that too now. Okay. And, and that's making me think. So, you know, you and I were speaking before the show how, and I actually woke up, sorry, I have several thoughts going on at once. I woke up this morning and a quote came through my email. And surprisingly, it's it's something we spoke about that 80% of Americans have a book in them, but few mm -hmm. actualize it. So I'm curious about the creative piece. When do you know if you should write a book? Well, if you, it's easy with fiction. If you have a story that just needs to be told, if you have a character living in your head who's bothering you every day because that character wants you to tell their story, mm -hmm. then you need to sit down and you need to write. On the other hand, you may be someone who wants to write a book to support your business. Um, maybe you have information to share about parenting or about life skills or about cooking or about any of a number of things. And it's nonfiction. Then you have to look at the approach that you're taking to that topic, what the competition is, if it's been done before, how you do it in a new and unique way, what your messaging is. Okay. And um, so it's really, there's a difference between fiction and nonfiction. 
But the key, the, the real key, the difference between an author and someone who just says, I have a book in them, is that the author has put their bottom in the chair and put their pen to the paper or the fingers to the keyboard and written. And that's the yes. difference. If you want to be a writer, you have to make and take the time to write. And so, it's not always easy because you can't, yeah. most people can't quit their day job. And I'm thinking, too, writing is a solitary task. I'm thinking discipline. What, what support systems would help, do help a um, writer? You know, if you're, if you're young and single or old and single and you're living by yourself ah. and you want to write, you can take all the time you want. You know, you come home from work and you sit at the kitchen table and you write and, and it's quiet and you do what you want. If you're involved with someone else, if you have a family, there are demands on you from other people. Yes. And um, getting the support and the understanding of those other people is sometimes key because you can feel very guilty owning that time. I have a friend who became a writer. Well, she was a writer and then she became my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wrote, while she was raising her children, she wrote from 4 in the morning to 7 in the morning every day and then her family would get up then her family would get up and she'd make breakfast and get the kids to school and get her husband off to work and then she would take a couple of more hours during the day to write and then get about what she had to do as you know wife mother organizer of the household volunteer in the school and all that um i know people who have become successful writers writing on their lunch hour every day People, uh, one writer said he gave up TV. He simply looked at how much TV he had been watching, and he gave up TV, and he found all the time he needed to write. And you also have to make a space that is yours to write. If um, a physical um, I space, have a, you mean? To, to make me? a physical, to make a physical, a physical space? space. Yes, that belongs to you, where you can leave your your yellow pad or your laptop or whatever it is, or where you can put up your storyboard. I have a friend who raised three children with his wife, and he took over the pantry in their kitchen. Mm. He built shelves off on a porch area to take the place of the pantry and took over the pantry, and he had been a hotel manager. So he took a few of the Do Not Disturb signs, and when there was a Do Not Disturb sign hanging on the pantry door, Dad was in there writing. And he wrote and published with major publishing houses five novels from his pantry. Wow. And now he has a great big house and a great big office in his home. But he started out for the first five or six books in his pantry. Wow. This is really inspiring for me to hear. And and I'm... I'm imagining too for listeners out there because I'm a I'm a creative I'm a glass sculptor welder artist and I've started to write and it's been hard for me all these things that you're touching on where does the time come from um, I learned that I, I'm not good late at night though I'm a late night person because I'm so tired and then early in the morning is not so good either so I found do I write at home no I get distracted so I found in Los Angeles Griffith Park and somehow mm-hmm. I just go to Griffith Park and I. I can sit there and it's beautiful and I can just write like it flows out of me. So it's taken some trial and error over the last, you know, year to find like where I guess that muse wants to come through me. So what you're talking about is is so many of your authors like really defining that for themselves and whatever it takes, you know, four to seven AM or in a pantry. So this is not unusual for writers to have to figure out, you know, where to get the resources of time, money, the commitment. Correct? 
Uh, absolutely. My husband, I'll give you an example. Yeah. My husband has been writing for years, and he's really a good writer. When you read what he writes, you go, wow. And I'm not saying that because he's my husband, because I'm probably the most critical person of him in the world, <laughs> but, um, as are most wives. Yeah. But, um, but his writing is, is fabulous, but he never focused adequately on it. And he was always working on four or five projects at a time, which is mm. the kiss of death for a writer. Pick one book and finish it. Okay. Finish it. Even if it never gets published, finish it. It teaches you you can go from point A to the final point in writing a book. So what I did for uh, the holidays uh, two years ago is I hired him a writing coach. I didn't buy him shirts and, and pants and, and, a, and a new um, table saw. I hired him a writing coach every week for a year. And, okay. and his book is almost done. He's very close to being finished. And what That's that great. did is... It, it made him accountable. He had, to, he had to had to have new pages every week. And he had someone who was experienced to bounce ideas off of. And it, for him, that was, that was the perfect thing to do. You have to, the thing is, is your art, whatever your art is, whether it's baking pies, which is mm-hmm. what I do, or it's writing books, or it's sculpture, or it's glass right. blowing, whatever your art is, that feeds your soul. It does. And you, you have to make and take the time to feed your soul because that makes you better for everybody around you. So the next thing, if you want to, if you want to be a writer, get rid of the guilt. Make okay. and take the time to write. Make time for your family, your friends, whomever is in your life, your significant other. But also know that you're entitled to make and take the time to write. So this is a good segue into what are some do's and don'ts of, of writing? Oh, the do's and don'ts of writing. Okay. Um, well, first of all, decide if you really want to write a book and decide who you're writing for. You know, are, if, if you're, are you writing for a young adult audience? First of all, are you writing fiction or nonfiction? What's the mm-hmm. message that you want to get across? Um, and, and who's your audience? Who are you writing to? I always say to writers, picture who your audience is, and, and even if you cut a picture out of a magazine of something representing your audience, keep it up on a board in front of you so that when you get a little lost, you can go back to that audience. You can remind yourself of who your audience is. Okay. Um, and prepare. Um, on, uh, prepare by making and taking the time, by creating a space, but also prepare by learning about the publishing industry. The publishing industry has been democratized in the last 20 years. Self-publishing is no longer looked down on the way it once was. It's a very practical thing for people to do um, in many, many cases. But you have to know what you're getting into. You have to know what you might be signing away in a contract. You have okay. to know what to look for in a contract from a major publishing house or what to look for and how to handle it if you're going to self-publish. So you really have to educate yourself. And the don't side of that is don't get into this thinking, I'm a writer, that's all I do, and once I write this wonderful book, somebody else will come along and take care of me and it, because they won't. Okay. They simply won't. You are still responsible for that book, right through the publishing process, even if it's with a major publishing house. So how can we learn about the publishing industry? 
and educate um, ourselves? Um, there's, there's so much stuff online, but an awful lot of the stuff that you'll find online then wants to sell you something. They want to sell you a $5,000 seminar. They want to sell you, you know, $500 tapes. You have to, um, and I wish there was one all-encompassing book out there that I could recommend that would really say to you, do this and don't do that. Right. There, there isn't. There isn't. Um, and the other problem is, is the industry is evolving constantly. Okay. It, um, you know, a year ago, I would have said to you, don't ever look to publish print on demand, uh, which is where they, the books are printed as there's demand for them. You don't right. do an offset print run of three to 5,000 books, and, and you don't have to lay out that money. Instead, you go through print-on-demand service. Right. And a year ago, I would have said, don't do that. If you're serious about being an author, don't do it. You'll never be carried by a bookstore. Well, just in the last 10 months, that's changed. So, so it really you is have evolving. to stay abreast of it. Read, read Writer's Digest. Read Publishers Weekly. Read the trade publications because they bring you up to date on what's going on in the industry. Read oh, that's Kirkus. good. Okay. And, um, you know, there are magazines within the industry that have been around a long time. Um, if you're thinking of self-publishing, join an organization like IBPA. It's the Independent Publishers uh, Association, and, and they're wonderful. It's IBPA. And, um, and attend a writer's conference. But choose your writer's conferences very, very carefully. There are plenty of good ones out there. But choose carefully. Look at the caliber of people who are teaching. Look at what they've accomplished what they're successful in. Make sure the conference covers not just the art and craft, but also the business of writing, and that it's non-commercial. Because a lot of conferences that cover the business of writing will have editors and book designers and website designers at okay, the conferences, yeah. and they're selling. They're, they're teaching with an agenda. To sell you something. You want to go to a conference. Mean? Excuse me? To sell you something as a participant? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. And you want to avoid that kind of environment, the agenda-driven environment. So why and when should a writer consider or choose a, a writing conference? Um, choose something that's affordable. Okay. Choose something that covers the art, craft, and business of writing. Um, you go to a writer's conference for several reasons. You go to learn. You go to find some extra inspiration, and you go to network. I'll give you an example. We had a, a cop who came to our conference in the early days, and he came for a couple of years, and he finally sold his book to St. Martin's Press, a major publishing house out of New York. Okay. And along the way, he had met New York Times best-selling authors, um, Phil Margolin, John Lesquat, Tess Gerritsen, and um, Joe Wamba. And they were all impressed with his writing. They all blurbed his book. Now, those blurbs not only helped him get the contract, but those blurbs were on his book and helped him get readers. Right. Gave him immediate veracity. So the networking you do at a conference can be very important. We do, at, at our conference, we do what we call seven-minute pitches. Instead of you standing in line and you get a minute to talk to some agent on a panel up front, okay. um, you come into a room and you get a minute two minute and a half to tell us what your book is about, 
who you are, why you're the person to write that book, and what you're doing to build your platform. And then we turn around, and there'll be three or four people, an agent, an editor, me, maybe somebody who's a screenwriter in the room, and we'll give you feedback on your project, why we think it will or will not work, what we think you can do to improve it. Um, And I have seen, over and over again, I've seen agents turn around to people and say, here's my card, I want to see the first 50 pages. Oh, cool. That's great. That's the other thing about going to a good conference. When you can get your work in front of an agent... Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they hear it for the first time. You know, our agents don't sit on panels. They do read and critique workshops. So you get to read your work, three or four pages of your work, right there in front of them and be critiqued by them. And, okay. um, and, and again, if you make an impression, they're going to ask to see your work. You, you jump right over the slush pile. That's the other reason to oh, go to a great. conference. But, again, check out who's going to be there and what they've accomplished. It's not okay. enough to say Mary Jane's going to be there and she's a great agent. Look at who Mary Jane has has agency she's with. Right, to see if it's even in your genre, I'm thinking, if your uh-huh. work would apply and, and be appropriate. Yep. You know, again, as a creative, you know, I, I'm, and we were speaking about this before going live on the show, writers, you know, just create, write, like you mentioned, which I'd love for you to tell the story of, of I think, one of your authors that got so wrapped up in his character that he'd go to the grocery and even get food for that character. Like, uh-huh. I've never heard of that. And can you just speak a little bit about that, the connection an author sometimes has to their work? It sounds like it takes on a life of its own, even. Oh, with fiction writers, their character with with really good fiction writers, their characters come alive to them. And I had a, a writer friend who said to me that she 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 knew that she had to get a little more control over her writing when she went to the store and she was putting stuff in the cart, thinking of her husband, and stuff in the cart for her son, and stuff in the cart for her daughter, and then she started putting stuff in the cart for her character. Um, <laughs> her, That's great. It, you know, it writing is such an uh, uh, um, it's, it's, you're alone when you write. You're alone inside your own head living with your characters. If you write six or seven or eight hours a day, that's who you're living with. You're living with those characters in that setting for that number of hours a day. Of course they're going to impregnate themselves in your life. Of mm-hmm. course they're going to have an impact on you. <clears throat> they're, they're part of your life until that book is done and beyond. And if, you, if you're writing a series, then that character grows and, de- and develops inside your head over years. You know? Um, um, yeah. So- well, that's a contrast, I'm thinking, fiction writing, and, and I've, I'm a writer of nonfiction, and so mm-hmm. it's hard for me to, even, if it's, even as I hear you talk about this, it's like, wow, I'm trying to wrap my brain around how does one do that? It's so cool. It's, it's almost like an actor, you know, taking on yeah. the role of someone else, and it, it becomes real. So it's, I'm fascinated right now. You live, if you're a fiction writer, you live with your characters. And especially, like I said, especially if they are, um, especially if they're in a series. And I've, I've talked to an awful lot of fiction writers who say they actually have to keep a board about their characters, you know, when they did what in their lives so that you don't, because readers who love your particular characters, mm-hmm. if you say, if you know, if you hail back and you go, well, in 1992, Joe did this. Your readers will write to you and go, oh, no, Joe didn't do that until 1994. 
you know, if you refer back to something in the past yeah. in this, with this character, you want to be accurate. Jump all over you. You better right. be accurate. Uh, yes. Because the readers get just as vested in the character. Well, think about it. Did you watch Downton Abbey? I did not. Okay. Do you, is, if you've ever watched a particular series and yeah. followed the characters, and the series has run for a long time and the characters have developed over the years, you're vested in them. You want to know what happens to them next. Exactly. Yes. Of course. It's the same thing with the readers of a series. We want to know Harry Potter. Everybody yeah, wanted to know what, what happened thinking. to Harry. Of course. I don't know about you, but at the end of Harry Potter, when he was all grown up and had kids of his own, I was in tears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it was just yes. so moving. So it's, it's, it's the same thing with any series. We, we want to know what happens next. So but what I love about reading is that when you're reading a really good book, the world fades away and you enter the world of the book. And most importantly, it's not like watching a TV show or a movie where someone else has imposed on you what the character looks like, what the setting looks like, um, what clothes they're wearing. Uh, when you're reading a really good book, it's your imagination that, that creates what the character really looks like. You bring it to life. The, you, you, and the reader, you and the writer together bring that character to life. Okay. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're the the reader becomes the writer's partner, mm-hmm. and you could read a, a, a novel, and that character, you know, the character may be blonde for both you and me if we're reading the same novel, but they may be different heights. They may have different noses. They're going to be entirely different because yours is the character you've brought to life, and mine is the character I've brought to life, and. And the ultimate thing is if you're reading a book, you know the writer has really got you. If you're sitting on the couch reading a book and the phone rings and you jump because (laughs) you're not in this world, you're in the book world. Yes. You know, I'm thinking to ask you as I'm hearing you talk so passionately about this. I I know you do, you're not a writer yourself. You do everything else, you know, to support and nurture and publish the writer um, and get them out there. If you were to write, do you think you'd be a nonfiction writer? Because you seem to really connect to that, to that. I think I would be nonfiction because Mm -hmm. I would be writing a how-to. I don't think I have the chops to write fiction. I think fiction writers are incredibly artistically gifted people. And well, I'm sorry. I don't, Antoinette, my bad. I, yeah. I'm thinking you would be a nonfiction writer because you're so enthralled by the process and you, like, you're making it come alive. So I'm actually surprised yeah. to hear that you said you would write nonfiction because I'm imagining... I, 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 I don't think I have the gift of, of writing fiction. I don't think I'm an adequate storyteller. I don't think... My husband writes fiction and he writes... I mean, his story is amazing. I, I, I'm not, I don't have that creative piece inside of me. Okay. I'm a facilitator for, for the creators, but I don't have that particular creative piece in me. Oh, that I wish I did. But you um, might be that person to write the book that doesn't exist, for example, of where writers can go to to learn about this industry. Clearly, I should, I should. I've been talking about writing that book for years. We actually did do a book that we're going to debut in 2017. Um, what I did was is I called on a batch of different people who had taught at the La Jolla Writers Conference and asked them to write. I, I said, I'm not going to tell you what to write. I just want an essay from you on some aspect of writing 
that you think would benefit aspiring writers to know. Yes. And so we and I, I reached out to thirty three writers and I got thirty essays back in record time. And wow. They all put them into the book and it's the La Jolla Writers Re- Conference presents Writers on Writing and um, it's words of wisdom from from 30 successful writers and we're going to be adding adding to it and actually putting it out to the general public this coming year and then oh, I really want to yeah and then I really want to do a, a how to um, to introduce writers to the ins and outs of the publishing world but I think I'm going to do that as an ebook. And the reason I would do it as an ebook, as much mm-hmm. as I love books you can hold in your hand, is because the publishing world is evolving still so quickly. Oh, that I can yeah. Update it. You can update, I can update it. an ebook every six months. Oh, that's great. That's, that's smart. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I have my answer to this question. As a therapist, my answer would be yes. But can writing a book be therapeutic for our listeners out there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What ways have you seen it be therapeutic? You know, I've experienced it being therapeutic. Okay. Can I give you personal experience? Please. Okay. I, my sister um, said something to me. She was waiting for a lung transplant. She said something to me about our childhood. And, um, and I said, oh, it wasn't that bad, blah, blah, blah. And she said to me, well, I, I wish I could. She said, when I'm better, I'm going to write it all down so that um, your kids understand why I've always been kind of such a not-so-nice person. Okay. And I had never really written anything of any length before. I went back, and 25,000 words later, I had finished writing my story from my perspective. She triggered something in me. Mm-hmm. And um, and twenty five thousand words later, I had created something which, being even looking back at it, is fairly well written. Is a really clean manuscript. No one will ever see it but me. But okay. it was incredibly therapeutic to write and cathartic for you. I hear. Oh, it was it was just wonderful. It was just it was like. It was it, it pulled my life together in a way that nothing else would have. Yeah. Wow. How and long ago was that? It, oh gosh, that was six years ago now, maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was a while ago. And you've got you know Julia Cameron has done books on this. So many people have done books on this. The Artist's Way. On, yes. On journaling every day. Um. I could never I could never get into that. I could never be a daily journaler. I tried. It just doesn't work for me. But I think a, a lot of people I know carry just a little pad, a little fold-over pad and, and a small pencil in their pocket or their pocketbook. And mm-hmm. when, when it hits them, they write something down. My dad does. He, ever since I was little, he carries around a little notepad and pencil and just jot, mm-hmm. jots things down that inspire him or he sees and wants to remember. So he has hundreds and hundreds of little notebooks, which one day I'd love to go through because I'm curious what they all say. Well, you know, I, 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 and, and I think you hit on something very important there. We don't actually write anymore. I came at my, my brother showed me uh, he had found a, a leather satchel 
filled with letters that my parents had written each other during World mm. War II. Mm-hmm. And um, I read just a few of them, and they gave me so much insight into my mom and dad. And I got to see them as children because they met when they were like 18 or 19 years old. Okay. Okay. And um, I got to see them as, as these, these teenagers falling in love with each other. Wow. And, you know, and we don't, we don't write letters anymore. We email and we text. text we don't even right. write thank you notes anymore. Right. And it's I a loss, yeah. The, it's a lost art, but I think the physical act of putting a pen to paper and actually writing out words in a thoughtful way brings us inside of ourselves in a way that all the selfies and all the texting and all the Facebook in the world cannot do. I agree, Antoinette. And, and I'm old school, though I'm 45 years old. I do handwrite letters. There are several friends I handwrite letters to periodically. And when I write, I actually bring to Griffith Park, not my laptop, but stacks of paper, and I just write by hand. And Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's the way the material gets out of me, is that, that physical process with the pen to paper. Uh, like, I have to have that. When I sit at a computer, it I don't, I don't know, something about the bright light. It just, it's not my thing. So um, I definitely, yeah, love that lost art of re- letter writing and handwriting, you know, what it is that you want to say and get out there. You know, they're taking cursive out of the schools now. Oh, goodness. And I, yeah, and I think it's such a huge mistake because yeah. there's, an, there's an artistry to writing in cursive. There's a deliberation to writing in cursive that, um, again, that tends to channel our thoughts in such a, a, such an effective way. Mm-hmm. There are. There are even writing exercises that I used to do years ago. It's just a therapeutic exercise where I'd take a pen and made myself write in cursive without picking the pen up. Like, all the letters are connected, stream of consciousness, and you only pick up the pen to move lines, you know, down, mm-hmm. but you write all out without interruption or a break and it was so hard to like stay connected in that way but I think it helped me to be able to write and articulate my thoughts in that manner Mm -hmm. yep yep so I I think I think it's a a, a huge mistake I one other can I make one other point that I think is really important please writers have said to me over the years um I I don't have the time to write and my answer to that is you don't Make the time to write. Debbie Makehumber, a lot of people have probably heard of her. You see her books everywhere. She probably has over 100 million books in print. One of the best-known writers in the world. Wow, She began writing at her kitchen table, raising a gaggle of children. (laughs) And she had no place else to write. And her husband bought her a second-hand typewriter. And her typewriter sat on the kitchen table, and that's where she wrote, in the middle of her family, running around her and doing what they had to do, she wrote and became one of the most successful writers in the world. That's a great story. Yeah. So we can make all the, when we have something we say we want to do, what we have to do is make a list of all the excuses we might have for not doing it, and then... Put that list on the refrigerator and laugh at it. Tell mm-hmm. ourselves, I'm not going to allow myself any of these excuses. And if you make a new excuse, put it on that list and get rid of it. 
It's gone yes. through your life now. Don't live the excuse-laden life. Do what you what you what's in your heart to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and speaking of that, to shift into the the kind of end portion of our show, we started mentioning the La Jolla's Writers Conference and why you started it. I know it's coming up in November, eleventh to thirteenth. You said that you you all accept two hundred people. What? How? How? Can you tell us what this format is? Is it something writers pay for? How can someone who's yeah. interested, you know, if you can tell us more about this? You go to LaJoyaWritersConference.com, and I live in California, so La Jolla is L-A-J-O-L-L-A. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't live in California, you can say La Jolla Writers Conference. I did that the first time I went there <laughs> years ago and felt very embarrassed. Now I know it's La Jolla. Yes. It's La Jolla, but it's, it's for those of you who aren't here, it's La Jolla, well, it's Writers Conference.com, yeah. or you can call me, I'm Antoinette, at 858 858- Four six seven nineteen seventy eight. We take only two hundred people. Um, we have we'll have a uh, we start at one o'clock on Friday afternoon. We go till two or three in the morning. Then we start again at seven a.m. on Saturday and go till two or three in the morning. And we start Sunday at seven a.m. and go till four in the afternoon. And we alternate workshops and lectures. There'll be four or five workshops, and then there'll be four or five lectures to choose from. And um, um, we have just top-notch faculty. I handpick the faculty for their knowledge, for their ability to impart that knowledge, because not everybody who has knowledge can teach, and for their generosity in doing so. They have to be very generous with their information. And um, we've got a wonderful faculty again this year. One of um, one thing we've added this year that we're very excited about: Grace Doyle from Amazon Publishing. She's the editor in chief of their imprint. Thomas and Mercer is going to be um, leading read and, cri- read and critique classes and doing um, the seven minute pitches. And uh, Thomas oh, and yeah. Mercer is a wonderful organization to publish with now. So. Um, there's that opportunity for writers. But we cover the art, craft, and business of writing, and it is, I think, 395 for the weekend, but that covers three meals, all three keynotes. Oh, There's no hidden costs. You don't have to pay extra for anything, and we're at the Hyatt Aventine in La Jolla, which is a beautiful hotel, and we have, we've negotiated wonderful overnight rates for people who want to stay overnight. Okay, that it sounds amazing and intensely productive is what's popping in my head. It's it's a good it's I'm it's I'm very proud of this conference. I really really am. After our second year, Writers Digest named us one of the 84 conferences in the country worth the money and there are over at that time there were over 1600 conferences. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And Antoinette, congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. It's the faculty. It's all the faculty. They're they're fabulous. You know, as you were talking too, we have a few more minutes. I wondered, uh, it, are there any differences and and similarities you see between, say, a New York Times bestselling author and an author who maybe you know hasn't been able to break into that realm? Um, like what commonalities, me, threads? Or, let me. You know, let me. Yeah. Let me start with successful writers. I have found that the majority of successful writers are very, very generous people. Okay. In that they they would really like to see the 
you be successful too. Okay. And, and they'll do what they can to help you be successful. That's part of what I love about this industry is the, the generous spirit of the industry itself among the, among the writers. Mm-hmm. Um, people so are you mean like sharing knowledge? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I have seen New York Times bestselling writers who like something somebody else has written say, let me talk to my agent about you or let me talk to my editor about you. What oh, other industry does that? Where else would you find that kind of generosity? Oh, that's um, cool. I, now, Michael Connolly um, uh, keynoted for us, um, The Lincoln Lawyer. There's a whole bunch of mm-hmm. movies that have been made from yeah. his books. And he keynoted for us one year. And one of the things that he brought up, I don't know if he brought it up in his keynote or in, on my radio show, but one of the things that he talked about was the fact that when you're a, when you're a, a brand new writer, you keep perfecting your book. You can write it and rewrite it and edit it and re-edit it as long as you want. Once you become a successful writer, you've got a deadline. You've got X number of months to produce the next manuscript. Okay, wow. So you don't have that luxury, and you darn what you, you have to become more self-assured about your writing. Newbies will, uh, and I work with so many newbies, and they mm-hmm. will edit and re-edit and re-edit, and you'll go to them, it's perfect, and they'll go, I just want one more read-through. And they'll change things again and again and again. Your professional writers, and I work with New York Times best-selling authors, they finish the manuscript, they hand it in, you go through the edit, they fix the changes, and that's it. Because wow. they, first of all, they're on a deadline, but second of all, they've become much more, more streamlined with their writing. Yeah. You know, you're making me think how next week my guest is a colleague and a friend. She's a ghostwriter, and um, I'm actually working with her to, to publish my first book. And um, can you? are there any thoughts you have around utilizing a ghostwriter versus not... I know, it just kind of popped in my head as we're talking. Well, a ghostwriter is someone who does the writing for you. You may talk to them about the book. Um, you may give them your idea for the book. And they, they basically, they may interview you, but they do the writing for you. An editor is someone who takes what you've written and edits it. Now, a good editor is someone who will improve your manuscript without infusing their voice into your manuscript because mm-hmm. every writer has their own voice. Their own voice. Yes, that makes and sense. A good a good editor doesn't infuse their voice into your writing. A good editor um, edits your work and makes it a little bit better. People ask me all the time, "How do I find a good editor?" Because yeah. one of the things that's happened with the democratization of publishing is people have hung up shingles. I'm an editor. I'm a publicist. I'm a this. I'm a that. And there's no licensing for this. And and you don't know whether you're getting someone who's really good at this or not. I always say to people, with, even with the best of recommended editors, give them one chapter of your book, and if they can improve, and be willing to pay for them to edit it, but if they can improve that chapter without impinging on your voice at all, then that's the editor for you. Okay. Um, and so if you have a ghostwriter, a ghostwriter is someone who ghosts your book. Sure. If you have a writer, that's, that's a writer for hire. They don't share in any of the, um, you're paying them what you pay them to do the work. They don't share in any of the profits from the book, any of the right. royalties from the book. Um, now, you could, have a co- you could hire on a co-author. They generally share in the royalties of the book. Well, this industry, it's so complex. Yes, it is. 
So yes, I like to. Is. I like to ask every guest at the end of the show, what is it, Antoinette, that you would like to leave, say, as a legacy or be known for or in whatever way you'd like to answer that question? Well, I have two answers. Sure. Um, I'm very proud of my children and their children because they are good people. So I feel like I have raised good people who are raising good people who will go out into the world and be generous and be kind and be smart and make a difference. So I already feel like I've accomplished that. And, mm-hmm. and I'd also like people to be able to say she was generous. Oh, yeah. Yes. You've been generous today, sharing with us all your knowledge and, and resources for people to go to. Well, thank you for so, saying that. You're welcome. So a way for listeners to reach you would be strategiespr.com, correct? Mm-hmm. Strategiespr.com, lahoyawritersconference.com, or 858-467-1978. Antoinette Kuritz, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Me too. And call me sometime about your book. I will. I was going to do that privately. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That concludes today's show. Join me next week as I interview Candy Cross of youtalkiwrite.com. Her agency specializes in writing autobiographies, self-help, and business books. She's an editor and a ghostwriter. Same time next week. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.